Welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold, the sports car market podcast. Market experts and car friends for over 30 years, Keith Martin and Mark Green have come together through their mutual love for collector cars. Keith and Mark will take you on a ride into the collector car market, talking with industry experts, helping you navigate your collector car journey so that you know when to make your own decisions to buy, sell, or hold. Hey, this is Mark Green from the Cars Yeah! Podcast. And this is Keith Martin from Sports Car Market Magazine. Absolutely. And welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold, the essence of collecting. This is show number two. So, Keith, how are you doing today? I am doing great. It's a beautiful day here in Portland, and I'm just thinking about taking a collector car out for a drive this weekend. Well, I think that's a good idea. It is raining here in Gig Harbor. I'm just a couple hours north of you, so you got the better of the day here, I think, for a drive in an old car. You know, before we have our guests come in today, I wanted to chat with you about something remarkable that we've all seen going on in the market with a couple Datsuns. Uh, we had one that sold for insane amount of money and one that just sold for reasonable money. Uh, I would love for you to talk about these two with our listeners and give us some of your expert opinion of why did we have this massive discrepancy between these two cars? Well, the one car was a nineteen or 20,000 mile original car, completely untouched, fully documented, essentially one owner that sold for $330,000. Excuse changed. me, I need some water here. I know. Uh, well, and, and that was on, this is on Bring a Trailer. You know, I asked a friend of mine who collects Corvettes. I said, if this had been a 63 Corvette, uh, 327, 340 horse, 20,000 miles, one owner, what would that car have brought? And he said, oh, about a buck and a quarter. <laughs> Wow. So Ferrari Boxer is now less than $300,000. 240Zs, they made about 400000 of. We talk about numbers of 1,000 being high, or like the 4GT is 3,000 and some. Oh, it's got so many. They built so many. How can they ever be worth anything? 400000 So the way that I spin that number in my head is that there have been at least a million people that have owned 240Zs over the years. Right. If you assume each car was owned by two people at one time or another. So out of those million people, there were a couple of people who have a lot of money who wanted the most original 240Z on the planet. And they were willing to pay whatever it took. They had five bidders when they get above when they got above one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Five. Wow. Five. Now, the, the next day or two days later, uh, a 240Z with you know, 70,000, 80,000 miles and modified with a five-speed and a really nice-looking car sold for less than $22,000. The first buyer paid a $310,000 premium to get perhaps the most original 240Z on the planet. What do you think of that, Mark? Um, well, I got a nosebleed right now because we're in <laughs> altitudes I'm not used to going to. But what, what's incredible to me about this, and you and I had this talk uh, the other day about cars and collector cars. And when you have an original car, what do you do with it? Because every mile you put on it brings down the value if that matters to you. I'm kind of wondering if this guy that paid over 300000 doesn't really care what the cost was. He just had to have it. Well, I think that's part of it. What they, what he or she does with it next is interesting because every mile you put on the car devalues it. Every time you take it out in public, you're running the risk of something happening to it. I mean, God forbid somebody, you know, runs a red light and T-bones your car. I'm not a big fan of high priced, low mileage original cars because they are really, uh, trophy queens. 
are kings and they need to be kept, you know, shuttered away from everything. I, I and I, I don't get any value in use from them. But I, I just think whoever bought this car, let's assume that they didn't have to mortgage their house and take out a loan to buy it, that it was avocational money that they could have spent on a boat or something else. And they just had to have it like some people have to have a piece of jewelry or have to have a work of art. And it the numbers made sense to them. Absolutely. Well, it's outstanding. It's incredible. And that is the market these days. It's kind of all over the place. You know, buy, sell, hold is about just that, buying cars, selling cars, holding cars. Now, I'm going to give us a little scoop here about our friend Keith Martin. Uh, you just decided to let a car go, right? I did. I had seven alphas. I thought that was enough. <laughs> um, in fact, maybe two too many. And I decided to part with my uh, 61 Giulietta Sprint Speciale. Oh, beautiful uh, car. A beautiful car. Bluette with a new interior in it. A uh, subscriber came in from Denver, test drove the car this morning. I had priced the car at $120,000, which was lower than they've been selling for. But I thought the right number in this market today, and the car was a driver not a Concour car. If it had been a Concour car and it was three months ago, that would have been a $175,000 car. I pegged it at 120. The guy flew out. He took a very nice, long, relaxed test drive. He came back and he said, this is my car now. Thank you. Bravo. Bravo. Well, it's just a testament to the fact that at some point we are willing to let go of these things because it's time, whatever that means in your life. Um, and now it has a new caregiver. And uh, I, are you happy with the guy you sold it to? The guy is great. He's yeah. planning on taking it on the Copper State 1000. Oh, wonderful. The Alpha Club's national conventions in Colorado Springs next year. He said, I can, if I come out there, I can take the car to that. And I said, what, not drive one of my own Alphas from Portland to Colorado Springs? Why not? <laughs> no. Uh, no, he's a, it was a gentleman. And again, when you, I think when you're very realistic about your cars and price them well, they'll sell. Yeah, absolutely. Well, bravo to you and the buyer. I think it's fantastic. Uh, onward and upward, as they say. Well, we're going to be back in a minute and talk with our guest today, Stephen Sirio. But first, a word from uh, Keith's team at Sports Car Market. They've got a special deal for you. We'll be right back. Here's another buy, sell, hold special offer. Do you love knowing what the collector car market has done when it comes to values? Of course you do. The Sports Car Market Platinum Auction Database puts 31 years of auction results right at your fingertips on your mobile device or your computer, no matter where in the world you are. With nearly 300,000 records, that's right, 300,000, it has the information you need to make an informed decision on that oh-so-important classic or vintage vehicle purchase. You'll receive all this for a mere $5.50 a month. That's less than the cost of a sandwich. As a Buy, Sell, Hold podcast listener, use the code PLAT50, that's right, P-L-A-T-50, to get this special discount. Just go to sportscarmarket.com slash platinum50, and the cart will automatically discount your order. Plus, Platinum subscribers also receive access to the full library of back issues of Keith Martin's Insider's Guides, a valuable resource for anyone in the market for collector vehicles. That's sportscarmarket.com slash platinum50. Get your discount today. So, Keith, who are we talking with today? We're talking to a good friend of mine, Steve Serio. He's been a writer for Sports Car Market for decades now. Uh, he's a 
Lotus and Aston Martin dealer. And he has a wry sense of humor, which is why we assigned him the A-Team van to review I for Sports it. Car Market. I love it. Well, Stephen, I'm going to give you a brief little intro here, so bear with me. I may repeat a few things, but it's worth repeating. Stephen Serio is the president of Aston Martin of New England, Lotus Motorsports, and The Bond Group. Mm, that sounds mysterious, 007 stuff. He started his business in 1987, specializing in exporting right-hand drive 1960s, here it is, Aston Martins, 007, back to the UK. And today, selling new Aston Martins and Lotus cars is about 10% of what he really does, which is sourcing, buying, and selling rare European classic cars. He has helped to build some amazing, large, and important collections of Porsches, Ferraris, Aston Martins. Over the many years he's been in business, Stephen's goal is to keep his collection to eh, about a dozen cars, which, of course, he's never been very successful at. He's an avid 1,000-mile rally driver. He plays golf, does some shooting, and he loves to spend time with his family and on the road. His first career, by the way, was like mine. It was in advertising, television, photography. He grew up outside of Boston. So, Stephen, a welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold. Would you tell our listeners maybe just a little bit about yourself before we jump into the questions? Yeah, Mark. First of all, uh, I want to thank uh, you and Keith for Inviting me on the show, this is always a fun thing to do. Uh, as Keith will tell you, I've participated in a great many of the Pebble Beach, Arizona, Amelia Island seminars for Sports Car Market Magazine, and I really enjoy the hobby side of my business. Um, I my day job, which I'm I'm lucky, uh, darn lucky to have, and that I've um, groomed since November of 1987, is really being involved with. Is yeah, many exciting European cars that I that I can really, uh, I mean, my day job is, is is the dream job for a lot of people. I I joke about it because it's retail and that can be very frustrating at times. But I think I have one of the greatest jobs on the planet. And and to get you updated a little bit with my day job, I'm in the middle of transitioning from being a new car and classic car dealer. I I sort of took the I took the view not uh, not long ago that I really enjoy traveling and I really enjoy sourcing, you know, super rare cars for people, and that I would let somebody else uh, enjoy the new car business. So I'm I'm in the middle of selling uh, my Aston Martin and Lotus business to a, a, a local car guy here in Boston, and I plan on you know really devoting more time to really about 20 people um, that I, I view as very important and wonderful customers uh, and, and to keep their collections, um, you know, with new and exciting cars. Because as we all know, we never have the right combination of cars. Everybody's always changing and wanting the next thing and maybe getting a little, I don't know, board's not the right word, but sometimes cars run their course and it's fun selling cars for folks and it's fun uh finding them for folks so that's that's kind of what i my life has been you know up to in 2020 well congratulations that's fantastic we're going to start with a a question keith has to or wants to ask i should say about what's going on right now take it away keith yes yeah, steve if you could describe the collector car market today using just one word what would that word be and why mature I would say the market has really gone through, since I've been doing this since 1987, I'm in my 
third full cycle of the ups and downs of the popularity of some cars and the desirability of others and the, the value cycles where things, much like the stock world, go up and down. And I think we are now in a very mature cycle for the cars that I've been around for the last 33 years. And, and I think if I can explain that a little bit, the collector is mature. Um, there are very few people I find that are doing uh, kind of a willy-nilly purchase and, and, and sale of, of cars that we got caught up in this frenzy sort of in the uh, 2009 through 2015 period. I think we, the market has had a big shakeout and the people that are still involved are the mature collectors that had always loved cars for the last, I don't know, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. And it, it's gone back to that. The, the, the frivolity has, has left the marketplace. So is that good for the buyer or the seller? Oh, I think it's very good, you know, Mark, it's not to sound like the, the classic uh, double-edged sword sort of answer. I think it's great for sellers if you have, if you've owned cars for a very long time and they are wonderful cars without exception, I don't think there is a problem finding a new home for them. If you are the fellow that got involved and didn't know really what you were buying and, and you kind of watched other people do it and you thought it was going to be a, be a financial play, this is going to be um, a very sad time in your life because you're just going to have to cut your losses and move on, especially if you bought at the, at the top of the market and you bought because you didn't love the car and you bought because you were mimicking other people do things that you thought you should do and it wasn't in your DNA and in your soul and in your heart that these are things that, you know, if you paid a hundred thousand dollars for a car and you bought it because you loved it and you were going to, you know, drive it like your hair was on fire and drive it like you drove it, like you stole it. I think there's a problem. I think you're, you know, you're going to be very sad when somebody offers you $40,000 for the car you overpaid for and you didn't buy the right one. There you go. Well, we always start this thing with what we call the three car story. So Keith, take it away. Stephen, I believe that buy, sell, hold is actually the mechanism by which the collecting market is made because every decision is a decision to buy something, to sell something, or to hold on to something. What we'd like to do is talk to you about a car that you sold, a car that was a significant vehicle that maybe it took you a long time to get and that you sold it. Now you look back and you wonder if you should have done that. Well, it's a I, I assume that you're talking about um, the regrets that I don't have being in business for cars that I couldn't hold on to, Keith. Um, and, and I and it, not to get down a, a different rabbit hole here, but boy, I wish I could have held on to the Allen Man GT40 that I had in inventory, the Mark One car with the 289 engine. I, I wish I could have held 10,000 mile um, Lusso in all its original glory. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that were in business that I had to sell because I had to stay in business and they were just items that, you know, I I couldn't keep. But in my own personal collection, I don't have many regrets about cars that I bought and sold, but there's one that in particular, I, I fell under the ether of beauty and the freshman era of not trying something out and fitting in it. And I think if you remember from seminars years ago, I had always lusted for a Seattle 208S. Right. And I bundled up three cars. I had a 
1956 European 356 uh, coupe, the very first European. I had a uh, 1969 uh, 246 GT uh, L series Dino and a 19, I believe it was 96 or so, uh, 993 RS. And I thought, the only way I'm going to be able to afford this 208S is to sell these three cars, which I had loved, but it was time to try to bundle them into a dream car. And the dream car sort of became a little bit of a nightmare uh, because it rolled into the shop and I looked at it and thought, this is the most exquisite thing I've ever wanted, laid my eyes on. And it is absolutely a glorious automobile. And I didn't fit in it. Oh, no. I just could (laughs) not. I could not get I could not get comfortable in the car. I suffer from having really two rotten knees from various little injuries over the years. And I couldn't drive the car for more than about 40 minutes without being in sheer agony. So I regret to answer your question. I, I re I, you know, I regretted selling it, but I, I also kind of regretted buying it. So it's kind of the worst of both worlds because I, I I got rid of three cars that, um, I really loved and thought I was going to love this more. And I didn't. And, and, and <laughs> foolish me, you the know, grass, I'm in the business. The grass wasn't greener on the other <laughs> side. <laughs> no, there wasn't even any grass. I mean, oh. it was it was like a paint, painted bit of concrete, dark yeah. green. Oh, so, um, I, I, you know, if that if that makes sense to the the question, Keith. I mean, I really, sure. I loved the pursuit. I, I waited for one. It was really just, and every time I see one today, I think. God, I wish I had just had a better experience with that car. But I I, I tell people all the time, when you buy something, try it out first, take it home, put it in your driveway, make sure you love it, make sure your wife loves it, make sure it fits in your garage, take it for a a proper hour drive. And then after you own it, own it for a year before you do anything to it. Don't talk about repainting it or retrimming it. Make sure you love it before you spend any more money on it. And I was the biggest... (laughs) <laughs> victim non, of your own non, advice uh, believer yeah. of my exactly yeah. <laughs> and, and what about so that was a car that you bought that you lusted after and yeah. it didn't turn out the way you thought it would be it just exactly. you were just you had to look at yourself and say this car is not the right car for me even though the fantasy is the right one the car is not the right one yeah exactly it was it was the supermodel that just couldn't hold the conversation at dinner. I mean, it's something that's sexist and awful, but I mean that's it's it's the it's the girl you always wanted to date, and it was just a big disappointment. Yeah, had one of let's those talk in about a car. <laughs> let's talk about a car that you've sold that you that you really enjoyed, but you ended up having to part with the car. Why did that? Why would something like that happen? Ah, well, that's yeah, that that's that's easy too. A Speedster that I owned. Um, I bought in 1996 that I had never any intention of selling and the world, you know, my world in business came to a sort of crashing halt um, when the last recession hit and I had to part with some cars to keep my business going. I did not mind parting with my Gullwing because I never really bonded with it. It was an event car. I just, I I didn't have the right events to use it for. I, I didn't mind Starting with a 356 uh, Carrera 2 Coupe, because again, I it was redundant in many ways to the experience I was getting in my Speedster, but I, I had to sell the Speedster as well, and it really broke my heart. So that was 
October of 2009, and I sold it to a fantastic collector, a guy by the name of Gary Shavitz, who's very well known on the East Coast and probably nationally as a, as a fantastic car guy. Gary honored his word. Uh, when I sold it to him, I said, if you ever sell this, I would just like first write a refusal back. After I had purchased another Speedster after having, you know, real seller's remorse, I, I bought another Speedster and spent four years painstakingly restoring it and building a fantastic rally hot rod, which is the car key that you've seen me use on rallies. Yep. Gary called me up literally the week I was shaking down my second speedster and he said, would you like to buy your old car back? Oh, no. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I thought, well, this is a dilemma. Yeah. Um, I've spent four years building another one. And yes, of course, I'd like to buy it back. So I, I paid roughly twice what I sold the car to him for because the market had shifted and I bought it back. And, and that may segue into your next question. So I have two of them today. Wow. So you have two speedsters today. <laughs> yes. Good for you. <laughs> now, you used the word redundant early on for a Carrera and a speedster and the experience. Wouldn't having two speedsters be doubly redundant? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, listen, Smarty Pants, you're absolutely right, <laughs> which I think I'm going to I'm going to let you, I, I think you're going to ask me another question about cars that I would like to own. Oh, and yes. I'm going to save the punch. I'm going to save the punchline for having two speedsters. Okay. To, uh, to answer that question. Let's go to a hold question. Is there a car okay. that, that you would just hold that you can't imagine selling it under any circumstances? Yes. That is the white gray speedster that took me four years to build. And if I had to slowly sell every single one of the 15 cars I own right now in, in our family, but my, between my wife and I, we have 15 sort of fun cars of all various, you know, sort of makes and sizes and shapes and slow and fast and two doors and four doors. And, uh, that would be the last car I would sell because it has, uh, it, it, I have dialed that car in over the seven rallies, um, that I've used it for. I'm hoping to use it on three more rallies this year. It is just the most glorious thing, in my view, to drive because it goes very quickly. It go, you know, you seem like you're going a lot faster in it than you're actually going, with the exception of launching a generator, which did not prevent us from uh, proceeding forward on one rally a few years ago. The car has been flawless. I really w want to wear it out and repaint it and rebuild it again one day. So, Steve, I want to I want to move this conversation slightly sideways. When you talk about taking four years to build, I just sold a, an Alpha today, and I checked back. It took me five years to get that car into rally touring condition. And mm -hmm. when I look at all my cars, it takes to have them the way that I want them, which is the way that you want them. They feel good. The suspension is right. They feel like they're maybe four years old, and they really work. I think that takes four to five years with an old car because everything is so old on these cars. Well, that's, I think that's fair observation and fair comment. I mean, don't get me wrong. We weren't in the four years it, it took me to restore that car. I, I bought that car off of eBay when you could still do such things. It was in a garage in Staten Island, had been taken apart in 1975, had been off the road since 1967. It was in as many pieces as you could put a car and was the perfect donor for the hot rod I wanted to build. If I had set my mind to it and I had the wherewithal to just 
build it straight through and keep writing checks and, and, and keep paying for it, we probably could have built the car in 18 months. I had the luxury of time on my side, and I also had the sort of sadness of not being able to write checks. I'd have to, you know, save some money for that fund and, you know, pay for the paint, pay for the interior, pay to have an engine made. And I purposely took my time about it because I didn't want to rush. But then once it was done, it was good. But, you know, thanks to John Wilhoyt um, and him, his, and when he developed a 2.1 liter engine for 356s, so that became a thing that made the car go instead of having 60 horsepower the car has now over 150 you know he ch- i changed the transmission in the car to to stay up with the engine i've changed the seats a couple of times and i've gone back to the speedster seats and taken the coupe seats out so it's now dialed in and i and i honestly don't think there's anything i could do to the car to make it any better for the you know, the, the uses I have for it. I mean, I'm not going racing through Torrey Pines chasing Phil Hill in the car. I'm, you know, going on Keith, your rally in Oregon. And, and yeah. you know, that car worked in the high desert at 85 degrees and worked at Mount Hood at 32 degrees uh, perfectly. How much money do you think you have invested in this car? About $400,000. What do you think? And, and what do you think if you were selling that as a dealer, what do you think you could get for it? Well, not to blow my own horn, um, I just turned down six. Oh, um, and it, it 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 came out of left field. It really surprised me that this guy said, "I just really want to buy your car." And I said, "Well, it's not for sale." And he said, "Well, if I give you six hundred thousand dollars for it, would you sell it?" And half of my brain went, "Oh, <laughs> God, absolutely!" And the other half said, "Well, what am I going to use all year?" Yeah, um, yeah. And I couldn't think of anything else to buy. And that's, that is a king's ransom. That's a lot of money, but I couldn't think of anything else to buy. And I think, Keith, we touched upon this in Arizona. There, there is a market where cars that are built by the right people, and, and not by me, but by you know John Wilhoyt having right. done the engine right. transmission and, and all the guys that helped build this car, much like Rod Emery or Singer or whoever's building a hot rod, there is a new class of collector that would rather have a beautifully done hot rod that looks original versus an original car. I mean, I, I point in case I have a 37,000 mile speedster here in my shop that we're asking 485 for that will drive exactly as it did in 1956, because with the exception of a coat of paint, it is a hundred percent original. I think my hot rod is much easier to sell. Yeah, I'll tell you, I got to drive a John Wilhoyt car with the 2.2 that he has now uh, last summer down in Los Angeles, and I just about melted. I am sitting here with a giant smile on my face. I think it's cool. Let's take a short break. Thank our sponsors. Actually, a nice little deal that Keith Martin's team has for us. And we'll be right back with the dream vehicle question. Here is one of the country's finest automotive events that you should not miss, the Amelia Island Concorde Elegance. Now in its 25th year, this multi-day iconic event takes place March 5th through the 8th at the Ritz-Carlton on the beautiful Florida barrier island of Amelia. You'll enjoy seminars, road tours, an RM Sotheby's auction preview, silent auction, a delicious banquet dinner, the Porsche driving experience, and Saturday's cars and coffee at the Concours with over 450 incredible cars and inspiring people. Then there's Sunday's main event, the spectacular 
Amelia Island Concord Elegance, where you'll get to see 300 significantly historic vehicles. Roger Penske is this year's honoree, and there will be many past honorees attending who are the leaders and shakers in the automotive world. The Amelia Island Concord is a 501c nonprofit foundation that raises money for North Florida and many national charities. Learn more at ameliaconcor.org. That's ameliaconcours.org. And we'll see you there. I've been subscribing to Sports Car Market Magazine for decades, and it shows up like clockwork in my mailbox every month. But what about when I'm on the road? Did you know that digital subscriptions to Sports Car Market are just $2.50 a month when you sign up with the promo code DIGITAL50? That's less than a cup of coffee. You get 50% off regular price just for listening here to buy, sell, hold. Plus, digital subscribers receive instant access to a year's worth of back issues and the exclusive Insider's Guide, including the 2020 Insider's Guide to the beautiful Amelia Island Concourse and all the spring auctions as well. No more boredom while sitting at the airport or on your flight. To get your Sports Car Market digital subscription at this discount, go to sportscarmarket.com slash digital50. Your order will automatically get you the 50% off. What a deal. Go and sign up today at sportscarmarket.com slash digital50. All right, we are back. You know, I want to go back to talking about Porsches, but that's the kind of guy I am. But I want to ask you this question. The ultimate dream ride that you don't already own, the car that we like to say ticks all the boxes. I'd love to have you share your thoughts about that, the design, the looks, the engineering, usability, fun factor. And I know Keith wants to add a little piece to this, right? Yeah, I think, Steve, what brings all of us at Sports Car Market together is that everybody who's involved with the magazine sees value in use in their vehicles. I don't know any of contributors who just put cars on a trophy shelf and and don't use them. So really what this question is about is the car that you look at, you say, not the most expensive car, but the car that you could just have a hell of a good time with and it it works for you in terms of value per dollar spent and use. Well, I think I, I'm going to come full circle because it's it, this is now the, the putting the bow around why I have the second Speedster. And I had no idea I wanted this car until, oh, I guess it was about three weeks ago when it landed in my shop. And without going into how I ended up with it, as a piece of inventory, Direct from Aston Martin, a brand new Aston Martin Zagato shooting brake fell on my lap in my business as inventory. I knew very little bit about the car before the car got here. And every single day that I looked in the car in the month of January, I kept thinking to myself, how can I keep this car? Because I can see myself driving it across the country. I can see myself driving down to Cape Cod. I can take the kids to pick, I mean, uh, basketball practice, soccer practice, school. And it's a thing that really, I, I would have never have predicted this, which, which I guess proved to me, if you, had, if you had said to me in December, what car was your dream car? I would have said a Bugatti EB110 because I was a dealer for those cars. You know, I was meant to be a dealer for those cars when they were new. And then, of course, the whole thing crashed and burned before the cars came to the United States. And that's always been 
a dream car uh, for me. And I, I think I wrote about that in the magazine once that I would love to put 100,000 miles on one of those cars because of the way it's engineered. It's so unique. My ego insists that I own things that nobody else has or that are unique. It's just the way I've always looked at cars. I've tried to have things that even with the Speedster, I had to have it, uh, you know, a color that didn't exist in the Speedster world. And, uh, you know, the hot rod is, is different. But the shooting brake is the most ridiculous thing because it's a two-seat hatchback. And it's all carbon fiber. It's got a carbon fiber interior. It looks like something Darth Vader would drive because it's black on black. And I'm going to trade. I'm going to sell my other Speedster that I boomerang back to me from Gary Shavitz in order to fund buying this shooting brake. And I may have to sell my Volkswagen thing and maybe my 500e Mercedes-Benz to sort of get the funds together to buy this. And I think my first Aston Martin that's knocked me really you know, out of my shoes since the first generation vanquish in the early 2000s. And I guess it's also going to be a nod for me being an Aston Martin dealer since 1996 and now sort of getting out of that business, it's going to be a nice memory for me. But it's 600 horsepower. I mean, I took it out the other day and thought, oh, Lord, this is just going to be so much fun to drive. Uh, <laughs> and, and probably nowhere near the answer I would have given you yeah, a month ago. I'm shocked. I'm but, really surprised. But, you know, Steve, I think in a way your choice reflects on what's happening to a segment of the market today where we see late model supercars uh, going up in value because a lot of people want to get into a fast car, but they want it to work. This Aston you're getting into, it'll have AC and safety and all. It'll, it'll be a real car and fabulous performance. Well, and, and Keith, you nailed it because I have said to people, I the cars I tend to sell are cars that aren't old enough to be classic cars and vintage cars from the 50s and 60s, which are, there's their true analog. So the thing is, things that if they break, you can fix them by the side of the road and are really great, simple cars. And they're not new enough to be convenient. And the only car that falls in that trap right now is the 1980s uh, Aston Martin V8 Vantage that I own. And I own that car, I think, because I like to look at it more than I like to drive it. And I love the smell of the original interior in it. But the AC is hinky. The Lucas Electrics in it are just, at best, marginal. Um, I mean, it's a glorious-looking thing. And that car is kind of on the bubble for that reason that you just said. I want, you know, I, I love driving my brand-new 911 GTS Targa uh, because I can get in it, commute, PDK transmission, Bluetooth, beautiful stereo. It goes like stink. And, and the Zagato is falling under that new car, supercar thing where I think all I'll have to do, cross my fingers, is change the oil in this for the next three or four or five years and just keep driving it. This is some uh, pretty cool revelations we are talking about. And all of us guys <laughs> are kind of in the same age group here. So we're falling into this. Keith and I had this talk just earlier today talking about my 87 930 Turbo. And the same messages were coming up and the same tugging happening with me going, I like the car, but it's an all original car. Every time I drive it, I'm risking it. And that takes the fun out. And the idea of this something brand new or newer that has all those features. Plus, Keith, you mentioned it in our pre-show chat, safety, because these old cars are dangerous if somebody in an SUV T-bones you. 
uh, you're a goner. So, wow, this is uh, revolutionary, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, yes, well, I've gone a- from the old car guy to the new car guy all of a sudden. Yes. There's a whole generation of collectors that weren't raised on cars where we had to put side curtains on them when it started to rain. Yeah. (laughs) I I love doing that, by the way. (laughs) Or I remember uh, one of my salespeople a long time ago was driving the Triumph Spitfire, and he called me and he said, where's the button for the power top? (laughs) And I said, oh, it's right next to the low fuel warning light. Have you seen that? Yeah, it's on your phone. It's an app. Well, I just think people, you know, driving, a a lot of driving today isn't really much fun. And so you want to be in a car. If if the driving isn't fun, the car relaxes you until you can get out on a country road. I mean, that's the value in new cars. Yeah, absolutely. Gentlemen, we could talk for hours, but we are running out of time. So I hate to be the killjoy here, but Stephen, this well, is you been, are. I you know. Are, I, well, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have us. you back, or I'll I'll invite you back to Cars. Yeah, it's been a few years. By the way, you were a guest on Cars. Yes. Yeah, back in uh, September of 2016. That's how long it's been. So I got to get you back on Cars. Yeah, so we can extend this conversation. But before we let you go today, could you offer us? Some wisdom advice, because you're such a wise and smart man, on buying, holding, and selling cars. What would that piece of wisdom be? Well, speaking from the heart, if you're not using it, use this phrase before. If you open your garage doors and your car isn't raising your blood pressure, because when you're in it, it's making you excited or it doesn't lower your pressure when you're just staring at it and calming you down and and walking around your car and, and reading a magazine and sitting in your garage and looking at it because you love the artistic value of it or you love some mechanical component of it or this glorious bit of engineering that, you know, somebody, uh, Tori Bugatti or Carol Shelby or Enzo Ferrari, Terry Porsche put together, you probably should get rid of it. So I would, I would, I would hold, uh, everything that excites you in one moment and, and, calms you in the next i would sell everything that you're going to get around to using and i would probably sell if you have more than one project you're never going to get to it and i i just gave this advice to a dear friend of mine who is laden with too many cars and he's never if he lived to be 300 he's never going to get the projects done sell all the stuff that's collecting dust that you're never going to use and put it into something that you're going to want and what would you buy well Buy that thing that stops you dead in your tracks on the street that really makes you feel like a kid again. And that happened to me in London one day uh, when I saw a 2010 Porsche Sport Classic. And I worked and worked and worked and found one in Germany and did the EPA DOT thing and brought it to the country. And it just happened to me with this shooting break. I just kept stopping and staring at it. And it took me completely by surprise. So I think if that's a, a complete answer, get rid of the stuff that's it's making you crazy as well. If, if you have something that you just can't get right and you're, you're not having a wonderful moment with it and it's a money pit and you go out to drive it on Sunday and it, it doesn't start, it's, maybe it's time the car is telling you that it needs a new home. <laughs> <laughs> I need a new home. Hey, what's the best way for our listeners to track you down and find out what you're doing these days? Website, social media? Yeah. Um, well, for the time being, Instagram, 
I'm under uh, the Real Bond Group, and and Bond, by the way, uh, has nothing to do with James Bond, although it should, right? Uh, it has to do with the bond of friendship with uh, people in my business, with a half a dozen guys I work very closely with around the world. That's where that name comes from. But the Real Bond Group on Instagram, um, my website for my office now is AstonMartin-Lotus.com. If um, I can mention, because the timing is perfect here, that uh, Hannah Elliott from Bloomberg was kind enough to have just written a story about me. And if you go to Bloomberg and you put in my name or the uh, fellow billionaires trust to buy their cars from, uh, I couldn't think of a, a more kinder, more wonderful, glorious thing that was written about me that I certainly did not deserve. But Hannah did. Um, that's how you can find me. And if you're in Boston, thank you. Uh, please come by. You know, 85 Linden Street to Aston Martin of New England and Lotus Motorsports. And we'd love to have you come by and look at the cars and just visit and say hello. You'll be there for a long time, by the way. So prepare because you're going to have so much fun meeting Stephen. Again, <laughs> listeners, you can find everything that we've talked about today on the Sports Car Market website. The podcast is listed there. It's also on my website, carsyad.com, uh, or you can find it under Carsyad Podcast on your mobile device. Um, everything's there for you to, to listen to. Steven, thank you for being so generous today with your time and expertise. This was so much fun until we talk again. I just want to thank you, Steve, for all the great articles you've written for us over all the years. And I forgive you for maligning me for the celery green Mondial Cabriolet that I bought. <laughs> there you go. It's on tape. <laughs> the friendship, Gentlemen, the bonds been... are healed. <laughs> it's, it's my honor to uh, be here in the company of both of you. Uh, I can't thank you enough for being your guest. And let's, uh, let's drive it like you stole it, right? Absolutely. I mean, let's, let's continue having fun with cars. That's the way to do it. And listeners, again, next week, we'll have another great show here on Buy, Sell, Hold. Hey, Mark Green here. If you love the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast, you'll want to listen to my Cars Yeah podcast, where over five years, I've interviewed over 1,475 inspiring automotive enthusiasts. You'll have free access to my guest shows five days a week. These are amazing people who share their world around cars, trucks, and motorcycles. I take a deep dive into their businesses, and they share with you how they've wrapped their passion for vehicles into their lives. Plus, go to the CarsYeah.com website and hit the free book button, and I'll email you my free filler-up book. It's an ebook filled with beautiful fuel filler fun, and inspiring quotes from my past guests. Once subscribed, you'll get my weekly blog as well. You can find all the Cars yeah shows on CarsYeah.com or on any mobile device using your podcast app. Just search for Cars yeah Podcast and subscribe today. That way you'll get both Buy, Sell, Hold with Keith and me and the Cars yeah Podcast delivered right to your mobile device or your computer. Thanks for listening. We hope to have shed some light today on the collector car market. You can listen to all the Buy, Sell, Hold podcasts at sportscarmarket.com and carsyeah.com. You'll find hundreds of inspiring automotive enthusiasts on the Cars Yeah website as well. Be sure to log into sportscarmarket.com and subscribe to Keith's SCM weekly newsletter. You'll find digital issues, insider event guides, and price guides, along with our platinum database, column profiles, classifieds, and many other resources. Join Keith and Mark next week to hear from another automotive industry leader who will help you determine when to buy, sell, or hold. 